0: discount. We're love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support and we think that awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again if you enter code absurdity at awaken you'll get a ten percent discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there.
1: What I find to be true is we like black faces. We don't like ba- black culture or black black um experience.
2: You're listening to Absurdity with Ryan Becker, the podcast where we embrace the absurdity of everything. From here, we can move conversations forward by learning how to communicate effectively, listen intently, and love patiently. Welcome to Absurdity. Hey guys, you're listening to this week's episode of Absurdity. I am your host, Ryan Becker, and We did originally have a solo episode planned for you this week, but last week I was down in Orlando, Florida, uh, just finishing my vacation, and then uh, I went further down into Orlando to a resort just down the road from Disney called the Carib Royale for our Southern Union pastors meetings. And so I met with pastors from all over the Southern Union, and if you remember last episode when we talked about uh, the church structure a little bit, then you'll know that... This basically means that I'm that I was in a conference with, um, let's see, uh, pastors from Georgia, Tennessee, the Carolinas, Florida, the Gulf States like Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, uh, part of Kentucky. So we met together, all families, spouses, kids, you name it, and they had awesome programming. And I got to hand it to Roger Hernandez at the Southern Union because he knows how to throw a conference. It was absolutely awesome. And I brought my podcasting gear with me, so I was able to get this recording with a friend of mine who I actually live nearby uh, to, but he and I were able to actually meet up and get together at Pastors Conference since we both had basically the same schedule. So my friend that I have on this week is Evan Willis, and he is a regional conference pastor in the Charlotte area, and he actually pastors the regional conference church that's about 10 minutes from one of my two churches. Now, if you don't know what a regional conference is, basically uh, it is their sister conferences to our regular conference level. So they have the same level of authority, same level of overreach as, as our um, normal conferences do. Once again, if you remember our church structure, the difference is that these were specifically started by Black people back in, um, I believe it was the 50s. And so Evan was really passionate about this topic, and he wanted to talk about it. So we started to talk about it, and I, and I just need to let you know, normally when I record these episodes, we have an outline, we have at least some sort of questions when I have a guest on that help us to stay focused and stay on topic. This time, we had no real time to sit down beforehand. We just kind of sat down and recorded, which meant that I had no outline to keep me focused, and my mind tends to wander, and it tends to wander uh, when, when talking about uh, this kind of issue tends to wander towards racism because of preconceived notions and things that happen. And so I, and it is 100% my fault, I hijacked this conversation away from regional conferences and toward racism in general, because that's just where the questions in my mind took me. And after the episode, Ed and I sat down, we talked a little bit, we kind of reviewed what we had, what we had just discussed, and we decided that what we discussed was actually really valuable still and we wanted to give it to you as uh, consider this a part one. And in probably a couple months, he's going to come back on for a part two, and we're going to finish talking about regional conferences. But there is a lot in here from the very foundation of regional conferences all the way through the topic of racism and race relations that I think uh, is incredibly important and, and really, really good for us, to, uh, for us to gather some insights from. And you'll, you'll notice just within the first, like, 30 seconds of the conversation that we had, uh, he already starts attacking at some of the things that I had been educated on and been educated on incorrectly. And so um, he when he talks about the history of the uh, regional conferences, and his family has some personal, uh, personal interactions, personal um, stake in what has happened with regional conferences, how they've started, how they formed, etc. So this is going to be an awesome conversation, and I'm really, really excited for you to hear this and from you for you to hear from Evan Willis. Uh, Evan is a father with several kids. He pastors, I believe it's between three or four churches, and the guy is insanely busy, and uh, he's also back in school studying. So he is, he is a workaholic in the best way possible. He is passionate about God's kingdom, and you're going to hear that in his voice. The other thing I'm really excited about uh, with this conversation is, I recently invested some more money into this, and so uh, this is the first in-person interview that I've had with my brand new microphone setup, where there's no noise bleed. So, really excited for you to hear that too, uh, and hear the improved audio quality when I can have two of the same or two people in the same room, which is absolutely fantastic. So, I'm gonna let this conversation play out and it's full unedited uh, glory and. Uh, well, hopefully, we'll have Evan on sooner rather than later again to uh, follow up on part two to talk about regional conferences. And when we do that, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of object common objections to them continuing and reasons for them to continue, things like that. So we're going to try and give you kind of a fair balance between the two. But for this episode, we kind of dive in. And I think both of us were caught off guard by the direction that the conversation went. But it was super great. I learned a lot. And you're going to notice... Uh, he's going to list off a ton of books, and just a couple days after we recorded this interview, he sent me a string of like 10 text messages with uh, with links to all of the books. So if you want to check out the episode description, you can find all of the books that he mentions, or at least most of the books that he mentions in this episode. You can find an Amazon link to them so that you can pick them up and read them yourself. That way, cut out the middleman. You don't have to Google. You don't have to go to the bookstore. You can just click a link, and it's right there for you. We are very intentional. We try to be very intentional about equipping our listeners with uh, as many resources and materials as possible. And I think I'm going to pick up a few of them as well so that I can educate myself a bit more on all of these issues. So here is Evan Willis to talk about regional conferences, racism, and becoming an ally and a friend. Hey guys, I am here with my friend Evan Willis from Rock Hill. Evan, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, Well, my name is Evan Willis. As was previously stated, I am uh, the pastor of the New Life Seventh-day Adventist Church in Rock Hill, South Carolina. I'm also a PhD student at the University of North Carolina, Charlotte, uh, in the program of Curriculum and Instruction with an emphasis in urban education. Um, I am a fourth-generation Adventist that's good or bad i'm not sure yet but it's a thing and um i've primarily been educated in black adventist spaces
2: awesome very cool so that's actually the exact opposite of me in, in <laughs> that respect is i grew up in traditionally gentrified white spaces <laughs> uh right. the the amount of times that i've been the minority in the group unfortunately yeah. has been uh Pretty small. Yeah. Um, so I'm actually really excited for this conversation, mainly because if I'm being just 100% frank, a lot of white people talk about regional conferences. And yeah. and within Adventism, this topic becomes kind of our way. It's it's like our billboard issue to say, we're an ally to yeah. social justice because <laughs> we don't like regional conferences. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of people don't realize that maybe there's some issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, or they don't like to think about it. Yeah. So we're on here to talk about regional conferences. And for those who are listening who have no idea what a regional conference is, if you listen to our last episode, we talked, we kind of went over the church structure episode. But if you uh, don't know uh, what our church structure is, go back and check out the uh, responding to poor leadership episode, and mm-hmm. you can see a whole breakdown of it. But our regional conferences, basically, uh, and you can correct me on some of these details if I'm wrong, okay. Evan, but our uh, church back uh, during segregation, uh, in an effort to reach a community of people and a social group and in a, in a racial group that wasn't being reached effectively by the church, created conferences that were meant to be temporary originally uh, to, in order to reach this group of people. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously black people. Mm-hmm. So now to this point, we still have regional conferences, even though segregation is, is a thing of the past. the civil rights yeah. movement has passed. Um, and we still have these regional conferences. And so there's a lot of debate in the church over whether or not we should integrate these conferences with the normal state conferences, uh, which way they should be integrated, or or even if they should exist at all. And Evan, so you can add any details to that you want.
1: Well, let me say a couple of things, probably I should add in my bio. Uh, Being a fourth-generation Adventist, my great-grandfather was baptized in probably 1902, and became Adventist minister. And he worked in the Negro department as a pastor um, and was in the 1946 meeting, um, 46 or 44 meeting, I can't fully remember, uh, where the vote passed for regional conferences. My understanding is that it was not a temporary thing. What had happened in 1944, there was a young lady who was at Washington Adventist University uh, outside of the hospital who could pass for white. Now, what I mean by that is she was very fair-skinned. Um, and while she was uh, in the hospital waiting to receive treatment at the Adventist Hospital, um, when they found out she was black, they denied to treat her and left her outside the hospital and she died. Wow. And so the response from the church, um, not from the church, the response from many black Adventists was, we're tired of the racism, we want full inclusion. And the church did not want full inclusion. And so after full inclusion was denied, then regional conferences became, was kind of voted two years later in 46.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Forty five. Forty five. Forty five. Okay. See. So, and that's a different history than what I've what I've heard about this, and and I think part of that is background, and I think uh, you know, uh, I think part of white privilege is that with a lot of these things, uh, it's it's optional to learn about for us, and uh, I don't think that's right necessarily, but it it is, and so this like, I fully expect in this episode and in this conversation to be schooled, to be educated. And that's the hope yeah. uh, for me. So, um, okay, so kind of give us uh, a little bit of your, your overview or experience with regional conferences. You work in a regional conference, mm-hmm. even though you work partially right down the street from me. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. And um, so kind of give us your opinion on them or, or and, and kind of how you view them and, and how you want to address them uh, during our conversation together.
1: One, I am actually... I might be a growing minority in this number as well. I'm actually um, affirming of regional conferences. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times when the conversation on the regional conferences happens, people view regional conferences as evidence of racism. Yeah, and I've seen that they say if there's well, if we have a race problem, then we need to integrate, and that will cause us to. Lose our ignorance. Uh, the problem is, we initially weren't segregated, and there was still the continuance of racism. Um, and so, also, I think you you said something very poignant, uh, poignant. A little, it was a little wrong, but poignant because you you had said that it was created because of segregation, but um, regional conferences. With the inception of Razor Conferences, you find the advancement of the Black work. Nineteen forty-six Pine Forge Academy is is built. Uh, you have Oakwood Academy down in the South. Uh, Pine Forge Academy is one of five uh, Black run and Black uh, owned boarding academies left in the country um, historically, which I'm a graduate of. Um, so you see Pine Forge Academy and its inception of forty-six you see the black work being very, uh, you see growth in evangelism because the reality is with more control over funds, the black purpose or the black mission gets funded properly as opposed to getting scraps or getting, well, get what you can. So I'm um, I'm a premier of regional conferences, um, I was in the seminary when they had the big discussion about uh, regional conferences. That's when it became a thing because uh, Pastor Nelson at PMC, um, talked about the need for a change or restructuring. A very um, heartfelt message that he delivered. Uh, whether I agree with it or not, very heartfelt message. Um, and as they had the debate about regional conferences, it 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 was interesting to me, a young lady from Canada said, we don't have racism in Canada. Really? Yes. Uh, but I inferred from that statement, I can't say this, what she meant, but I inferred from that statement that she stood there because on that premise because there's no existence of regional conferences because she said it was strange to her when she came down to America and saw black and white, because that wasn't the way it was there. But what you'll find is blacks don't often talk about our experiences of racism with our white counterparts. Yeah. Because one, more often than not, when we do, we're not believed. And secondly, we're almost blamed for it. We're, we're creating the problem by yeah, talking about it. Yeah, you
2: perpetuate it, it because yes. you're talking about yes. it, because you're trying to uh, assign blame yes. to this. Yeah. yes.
1: I also have a problem with the ideal, the idea that multiculturalism is the ideal, and what, what I mean by that is, I think God has a plethora of ways. Multiculturalism, also in homogenous spaces, but I have a problem when we. I was in seminary, and a professor said, "I believe God's blessing particular area." because they're doing church right. They are having integrated, fully integrated churches, right? What we, what I found to be true in my experience, and even as I sit here at the Southern Union meeting, what I find to be true is we like black faces. We don't like ba- black culture or black black um, experience. And the mere fact we had a black preacher today and he delivered an awesome message. The music was music, you know, I don't, I'm not going to say it's bad music; it's just not my style of music. But I always find it interesting when I come to union meetings how there's no black soul represented on um, from the music standpoint and from the worship standpoint.
2: Hmm. Yeah, I you know I I can resonate with a lot of what you're saying. You know, up until recently, I was uh, very. Against regional conferences Mm -hmm. existing. Uh, All through high school, all through college, I was that way. Up until literally Mm -hmm. probably six months ago, Mm -hmm. I was very, very big against them. And now my thinking has shifted and Mm -hmm. now I'm definitely seeing the need for it um, because I think a lot of the push for regional conferences to end is seeing it as a Mm -hmm. band-aid. If we can just get that, then there's no racism anymore. Mm -hmm. And we can pretend like it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. uh, when it existed before Mm -hmm. and likely it will continue to exist Mm. afterward yeah uh people aren't perfect unfortunately yeah, unfortunately um, and and you're right you know i i've noticed that whenever in the spaces that i've been in uh, in churches i've been in or worship experiences i've been in we 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 like to say it's diverse but we all try to meld to an acoustic guitar and a <laughs> cajon and yeah. um you know how great is our god or some yeah. of these cliche worship songs that yeah. have been sung for the past tw- three yeah. two three decades yeah and uh, no matter who no matter what color is represented it's the yeah. same worship style and yeah. it's 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 black faces yeah. with white worship yeah um and you know there's some there may be some listeners that are uncomfortable with that wording but yeah. really that's what it is yeah. uh, i've never walked into a black church and they've talked about diversity because there were white people there yeah um and it, because that's not their your aim typically in a black church is is not about the color of skin, mm-hmm. um, whereas white people, in this effort to not be racist, mm-hmm. are way more focused on mm-hmm. skin. Even if it's "quote unquote" positive, yeah, you know, even if it's to try and meet some quota of diversity, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's still a focus on something that ultimately yeah. uh, is distracting at the yeah. end of the day uh, as, an, as a mm-hmm. as a social issue mm-hmm. um, for church leaders or ministries leaders to mm-hmm. spend all of their time worrying about. Mm-hmm. So I I resonate with with a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So with regional conference, if if regional conferences stay, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't see them going anywhere Mm -hmm. anytime soon, whether you like it or not. (laughs) Uh, uh, So if regional conferences stay, uh, what do you envision uh, if 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 multiculturalism is not kind of the end goal? Right, so so, what do you envision the church looking like with these conferences working side by side?
1: I think rebranding is an important step.
2: Huh, okay.
1: And this is what I mean. There's no problem with regional conferences, but there is a problem if we keep regional conferences because I don't like white people or because you don't like black people, that's when it becomes a problem.
2: Yes, I agree.
1: And so regional conferences should say our brand is we focus on reaching black America, whether that's black middle class, black lower class. Each church should de- each church's mission to determine mission that is driven by the spirit of God should determine their approach to ministry but if you think about the gospel if you think about the new testament paul went to gentiles he went across um ethnic lines and and yes. national- nationality lines because i shouldn't say well because i'm a regional conferences because my emphasis is reaching black people that i can't allow white people to work with me and i can't say a white man can't be used by the spirit of god to reach black people you know, it's all about who is this, who is giving the mission. And I believe God still moves and breathes in today's society and Absolutely. he still gives calls and missions to people. And so it's not my job to say, well, you're white and we don't hire you. Mm. Or it's not, uh, and i I speak to an experience a friend of mine had <laughs> that speaks to the continues of racism, um, with, with a conference I won't name, um, when he was coming out of undergrad, the, he applied to a conference. They had good communication. Then they said, "Send us a picture." He sent a picture, wow. and they never responded. Wow! After that picture was sent, there was not a response.
2: <gasps> that's crazy. Yeah, <sighs> that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So, so, and I agree with that. Yeah. Um, I think I think the rebranding then um, and. You know, honestly, I really think there should be some sort of, um, you know, I like what, what our conferences have done, mm-hmm. um, and that we've done a lot of pastors' meetings together, mm-hmm. and, and there's kind of at least some inklings of intentional effort yeah. to to work together yeah. alongside each other. Yeah. And I love that you and I have met together yeah. several times. you yeah. shared your pulpit with me, yeah. um, and I fully intend <laughs> to do the same, Uh that will, that will happen. I just yeah. don't know when yet. Yeah. Um, what are you doing this weekend? Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I think there's some inklings of that and I think, a, a an intentional focus and, and branding that mm-hmm. way to work together mm-hmm. in ministry is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me ask you this now, how far do you think this goes? Right? So we've got black churches for black America, um, and, um, you know i don't want to say white churches cuz they're just kind of churches <laughs> yeah. it just seems weird i, yeah. I don't know uh, but maybe that's maybe that's just me being overly cautious or mm-hmm. um but how far does the line go then when you've got um asian americans or you've got hispanic americans spanish americans mm-hmm. uh you know how far do we draw that line uh with regional conferences is or do we just stick with what we have because we already have it
1: well you know regional conferences it's really about leadership because, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised and I'm a son of the Alleghenies conference. Uh, But we have Korean churches. We have um, obviously Haitian churches, uh, uh, Latino churches. Um, So we have churches of every shade ourselves. Yes. Um, It just seems to me really about at this point, because I know, Carolina conferences and state conferences have um, people of all shades as well yes. in their churches so I know one thing you know this part of it is historical right Regional conferences came into play when America was dominated by uh, and I got this 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 con, this the phraseology I'm about to use from um, so critical race theory. Um, we view the world in a white-black binary in America. Yeah. So we think everything's about white and black. And sometimes we exclude the other minorities, right? So uh, as we consider that, I, how far it goes, I would say, is up to how, I guess, demographics feel that they should have because sometimes the issue is maybe the Latino church or maybe the uh, Asian church feels like they don't have representation. And so I think conferences, leadership should do what they can to make sure there's proper representation and that each voice is heard.
2: Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So basically, if if uh, Hispanic people feel like there's no representation, there's no, then it, it, it's kind of on them to say, "All right, we need we need to move in in some direction." Mm-hmm. And there's onus on current conference executives to be intentional mm-hmm. about create or, or, or having space for representation. So mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a, a give and take yeah. on both ends. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I definitely think that's fair. I was just curious. I know that that's yeah. a common. It's like, well, what about everyone else? Yeah. Um, are we going to create all these for them? And and yeah. I don't think that's necessarily yeah. the case. Yeah. Um, but I do think representation is really really important yeah. uh, on everyone's yeah. uh, for everyone. Yeah. So um, with regional conferences, I know that that one of the things uh, that I learned or realized um, as as I used to fight for reintegration mm-hmm. um, was that basically when you're fighting for integration of regional conferences to the normal state conferences, mm-hmm. um, you're asking a lot of people to give up their jobs, their livelihoods, and mm-hmm. uh, because there is not space for all of those conference executives mm-hmm. to move over, over, yeah, and,
1: um, and and who you think would be the first on chopping block? It would be us. Yeah, exactly. It would be,
2: <laughs> and everyone would say, "Well, it's because you guys came." You're, you're, Second, the you're the newest <laughs> ones. So obviously, you know, you just reintegrate into the old ones, but, yeah. but I think that speaks to, okay, so the white people don't lose their jobs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the black people do. Yeah. And, and so there's this, you create, um, this, there's this weird tension that now exists. Mm-hmm. If you are calling for integration, mm-hmm. because you're, you now are assuming automatically that someone is going to lose their job and mm-hmm. integrate somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that, was, that was a huge thing for mm-hmm. me that I went, whoa, okay, I need to take a step back here mm-hmm. and, and figure out what my assumptions are about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that vein, have you encountered any assumptions that people carry about regional conferences um, that maybe uh, you can uh, speak to or answer to um, or clarify on? Maybe not. I don't know. That was just something that I had experienced.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. I more so experience what people think about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can speak about some things we feel, hmm. some things I feel. I'll, I'll say I. I can't speak for the collective <laughs> of black people. That's fine. Um, but I've experienced this idea that um, we chose this, You know that, that blacks have uh, been divisive and that we chose this. I've also experienced this idea that the issue, one of the issues on the black side is that we have to lose our thirst for power. And I don't think it's a thirst for power. No. I think it's about representation. Because even, even the context of the black work, what you what you find is that the Caribbean Americans become concerned if there's not Caribbean representatives who hear and think about them. Because it, it, as much as we talk about the spirit of God being involved and, and he, he, he should be at the foreground of what goes on in the church, the reality is all of us have blind spots Yeah. based upon how we've lived and grown up, right? So most of you don't know this. I'm half Caribbean. My mother is from the British Virgin Islands. Okay. And so sometimes I'm around regular African Americans who don't have a very high opinion of Caribbeans. And they say things disparaging, uh, thinking that I'm full black because I don't have an accent. I'm full African American. And so there are these issues of um, representation, and I don't think it's necessarily about power. Now, for some, it it may be about power. So we're not denying that at all, but I don't think the issue is about power. Uh, Also... I, I, I... I come across this belief, and I'm sure you agree with me here, that people believe that there's no more racism, and so there's no longer a need. Yes, unfortunately for, for regional conferences, and and I can point to some stuff. I, I'll say this right. Um, I talked to a young lady, Adventist person, who was part of a major multicultural church, and um, she was there. And she kind of got tired of the church because one day uh, some urban black people showed up and they got caught up in the praise and the worship. They got excited and, 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 and a a Asian lady came to uh, her after service. said, you need to get your friends. Tell them that's not how we do things here. And so, that's one sign. And I'm currently reading a book called "Racism Without Racists" by huh. Eduardo Bonilla.
2: <laughs>
1: I want to say it's less Silva, but I don't want to be wrong. Uh, and he covers this concept called colorblind racism. And he he kind of details historically, you know, after the civil rights movement. Um, And after uh, a lot of laws like affirmative action uh, were passed, white people in power had to be very careful how they said things now out of fear of having a lawsuit, right? And so now racism has changed. You know, you're not going to have someone call you the N-word. I mean, you will, but it's yeah, <laughs> far and few yeah, yeah. in between.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: We've uh, we we we've moved past that. They think that's a redneck thing. But we just don't realize um, how deeply entrenched race is as a social structure. Because it's it, it, racism, and We and this is the mistake we make as well. We say, well, it's a heart issue. That's only part of it it's a social structure exactly
2: it's an education it's a yeah. it's from the bottom up you grow yeah. up in this social structure in yes. this social construct yeah yeah yeah
1: absolutely and so because of the social structure of race because because and, and there are white people who don't don't have a black friend and they may have a black friend but they don't they've never lived in black spaces, never gone to black churches, never gone to black schools.
2: Yeah,
1: they own their only introduction of black people is what Jay Z says, is what they see on the television screen, and that's not who I am. Yeah, I yes I'm I'm black, but I'm also individual. I am shaped by my experiences. I'm shaped by this world. And so, yeah, I'm black, and there may be some similarity Jay Z and I, and, and 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 all these other rappers and I, but I'm different. But but I just want to think about this: How do these biases, these presuppositions, impact how I interact with people of color? And 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 by nature of being white, you are in a privileged power position that I don't have the advantage of. Mm-hmm. And how you interact with me, how you distribute funds for my schooling, shapes and impacts me. And although you say it's not about race, deep down the side, your view of me as a black person does impact what you're doing. Yeah, Even in the church. And th- this is something I'm, one well, of my research interests. As Adventism, we've painted Adventism as this utopia. This perfect and this is why many of us leave the church. Millennials leave the church because we expect the church to be perfect, and we realize these 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 <laughs> Negroes and and these these white people are, are crazy. It's like, man, why am I even joining this? You know, we we talk about the Pope, we talk about Rome, we talk about non We talk about first day preachers, and in actuality, we have some of the same struggles, some of the same issues. And so, I'm I'm this this idea, you know, uh, I, I picked this book cover, and, and I can assume what it's to be about, but I'm looking forward to reading it. Uh, Why our kids must come to our schools. And I'm a strong proponent of Adventist education, right? I I love Adventist education. But we are not exempt from the racist ideas that have existed in America and in this world. Absolutely not. Yeah, I agree. And so yes, I want my kids to be in Adventist school. Yes, I want them to be... But we... And, and and the problem is, if we don't r- realize how we've been impacted and shaped by the things going on, we're bound to re- reproduce those things and do it to an even greater extent. Because, oh, no, I'm not racist, though. So. I'm an Adventist Christian. I love uh, the Lord. But your whiteness does impact your worldview and your Adventism.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think of growing up, and, and like I, like we said at the beginning, you know, we grew up in, in yeah. opposite racial circumstances. Yeah. And I grew up never having to assimilate, Yeah. right? Uh, and I know there's a term for it. Yeah. I just can't think of it right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, when, a, when a black person walks in and they're they're the minority in the room, they yeah. have to change their accent. They have to change
1: their voice. W.E.B. Du Bois calls it double consciousness.
2: Okay, yeah. See, I've never had to have that. Yeah. And the closest I've come to experience that, experiencing that is when I have been the very few times mm-hmm. I've been the minority in the room, but mm-hmm. I've walked into a, a world where that's never had to be yeah. the case for me. Whereas for, for many black people, especially in America, mm-hmm. you walk into any of our Adventist schools mm-hmm. even, and yeah, you yeah. actually, you absolutely have to have a double consciousness. Yeah. You're the only one in the room who yeah. is black and yeah. no one is talking to you yeah. about the value that you have as a person.
1: Yeah.
2: They're talking to white people because yeah. the system is, has been built yeah. in that fashion. Yeah
1: and it's simple and really sometimes it's little things that send the message like you probably would never notice this but there are times that nad or the gc sends me a video show my church and there's only white people uh, there's yeah. not there's not a black person on the screen and it's hard to remember i say I, I i mean i pay tithe i'm invested i love the lord i work for the church and you don't you can't and 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 it's not about having a black face because sometimes they get some of the whitest black people put on there. <laughs> and so it's, it's, I love the church. I love the Seventh Day Adventist Church. I don't imagine myself ever leaving. I love the Lord. Exactly, uh, I'm on mean the same page. And I just, I just want us to be honest with ourselves.
2: It's accountability. Yeah. I, I, that's that's really what it is at its yeah. base level. It's it's calling the church to accountability in these yeah. areas. Yeah. So I'm with you. Yeah. Um, it, it is. And it's really hard for us to sometimes uh, put down those biases. Yeah, you know, I uh, I shared this story back in episode two of this podcast. I mm-hmm. even preached it before, and mm-hmm. this is actually one of the hardest things for me to admit mm-hmm. uh, because I was one of those people that were like I'm not racist. I'm not racist, but. Yeah. You know, just two years ago, a year and a half ago, I was driving yeah. through my apartment complex, typical middle class apartment complex. Yeah. And I grew up, where I grew up, suburbia, white, yeah. white suburbia, right? Yeah. I was always taught that across the railroad tracks, quote yeah. unquote, that's where low income is and low yeah. income was always mm-hmm. black people. So subconsciously, you just mm-hmm. you just kind of associate the two. Mm-hmm. Driving through my apartment complex and I see this black guy out on his porch and the first thought in my head was, wow, that guy did good for himself. First <laughs> thought in my head. And yeah. I caught it. I yeah. caught it immediately and I was like, yeah. what? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? But yeah. there was this moment of it wasn't anything that anyone explicitly taught me to think. Yeah. No one maliciously said, Ryan, black people can't have yeah. nice things yeah. Yeah. Uh, or even middle class yeah. things, yeah. right? It was, but it's this subtle training, an yeah. environmental uh, impact that happens over, for me, literally decades over 20 yeah. years yeah. that, 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 culminated in that one thought and, yeah. and I can't remember other times that it's happened but yeah. um I can't imagine how many more huh. and there
1: likely were and I said that's probably the Holy Ghost because you you say you don't know how many times before you had the thought. The Holy Ghost has to reveal us to ourselves. Yes. And absolutely. that's what um Henry Johnson he was talking about that today in his uh, Fifty Shades of past, which was good good lecture. Yes, yeah. Um and you see the funny thing is um my dad's a dentist my mom was a church school teacher. I didn't grow up in the projects, but I went to church up the street from the projects. Um, uh, when I, while I was growing up, my parents would not send me to the white Adventist school. We had no school. They sent me to a non Adventist school huh. because there has been a history of racism. Yeah, you know, people being called the N word, and the problem is. You can't control every knucklehead in society, but it's how the response was. It was the fact that you could call them the N-word, I could hit you, and I'm the only person punished. The only person. Yeah. I can understand, oh, maybe I shouldn't have violent. Okay. Maybe I should get maybe a more severe punishment. Maybe. But for the other person to get nothing, and and, and that is a repeated story. You talk to out and this is a made-up figure, so but I'd say <laughs> nine out of ten. Yeah, black Adventists who've gone to white Adventist schools have experienced a racial slur, been called darky, been called chocolate. And when they've retaliated or seen someone retaliate, they're put out of the school. Yeah. But the person who did it is given a pass, saying, oh, he or she didn't mean it. You shouldn't respond that way. It kind of all falls on you. Um, and the funny thing is you say you've never you've never had to live with double double consciousness but the reality is for me outside of my first five years of schooling, I since I was in primary black spaces for a time I had single consciousness which sort of lulled me to sleep huh because I mean I went to all black middle school. Adventist school. Uh, and I had the privilege of being an Adventist member. My mom's the principal, so I was very comfortable. I went to Pine Forge Academy. Uh, all black. So I didn't th- have to think about that. Went to Oakwood. All black. Wow. Didn't have to think yeah, about yeah. that. But then I went to seminary. I, I re-experienced double consciousness. And it made me very upset. Um, Because I had to... You have to say to yourself, what what does he mean by that statement? Because you, you, even as a black person, we try not, most of us try not to use the race card. Because yeah, we absolutely. know. You said that it's going to cause a bunch of problems. So we try to find every reason why what the teacher said was not racist.
0: It's, literally
2: tried, it's the epitome of trying to find the best in someone.
1: Yes. <laughs> and every reason why, you know, this white kid didn't mean what he said that way. Like you know, uh, this missionary kid wrote a letter, and this is this for all my white friends listening. This is code where you should never say to a brother, right? Code where you should never say to a black person. I'm not racist, but <laughs> <laughs> don't call us reverse racist either. Don't. That's 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 not. That. A guy wrote an article in the Andrews newspaper about. Black History Month being reverse racism?
2: Huh. <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. These are things like it's just like why why
2: why this this is pushing multiculturalism to
1: to such an extent
2: that yeah. you're you're literally shutting out culture. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I yeah. Mean, at that point, that's what you're doing. You're shutting yeah. out culture yeah. for the multi. Yeah. Part
1: and there's no there is no truth that there is never any culture. What will happen is normative white culture will become the dominant trait, especially in white spaces. Because we have to realize, many of us black at Venice, we're kind of white too. Because there's this book that I need to read that one of my mentors, uh, Dr. George Russell C. uh, Jr. recommended to me. Um, called Seeking a Sanctuary that looks at Adventism uh, perpetuating the American dream. And it, you know, my great-grandfather was a son of a slave. Right? Um, his children became bachelor's degrees, master's degrees. My, grandfather did, my great-grandfather did not have a college education. He and Adventist. his kids, got privileges. Right? Oakwood, PUC, were, a- EMC, yeah. Um, Their kids. My dad's a dentist. His sister was a speech pathologist. Pathologist. Another aunt we won't really talk about. <laughs> then I have some cousins. One was on TV. One worked for Brian Gumbel, One was on NBC. AB, uh, Good Morning America had a role in Good oh, Morning wow. America. Cool. Um, a, a teacher and they they uh, doctors. You know. Yeah. And so. After becoming Adventists and embracing the theology, which I'm not saying is bad theology, but we become a little white on the inside because we move out of the urban spaces where those first who first joined lived. And we get a couple of, I, I can speak experience the summer of 2002. Uh, I was uh, we had a summer league at my church. We the, invite the community kids. I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't know how they would respond. Oh. I lived in the suburbs. <laughs> I was in a controlled, private black school. Gotcha. Where only certain kinds of blacks get into this school. Yep. Um. So, I had to learn. Myself, blacks aren't all criminals. Because of how... Even though you know I went to church with a lot of blacks, but there's some kind of clientele that come to church regularly.
2: Yeah,
1: and those are the ones I was used to, so I had to adjust to those urban, um, inner city blacks, thinking that they would do no harm. When really, they're people. They're people like you and I. Now they're not the same as you and I, but they're people. Hmm. Um. And just like I wouldn't walk on a plane and rob someone, they wouldn't walk. You know, they come to church, they have a high view of God, reverence, and oftentimes you'll find that members act worse than the inner city kids when you come to playing sports and support stuff like that.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, I, I had, uh, I don't know if you know him, Garrison Hayes, yeah. uh, came on the podcast uh, several episodes ago, and we we talked about his experiences with racism. I asked him, I mm-hmm. said, hey, what was an experience with this that you or a loved one has, has had? obviously there's several, but mm-hmm. I, I asked that question. You just share you've shared a few on here. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he, one of the, the comments he made to me after he shared that was that normally when people ask that they're asking because they want to disprove it after mm-hmm. you've shared it and explain mm-hmm. it away. Mm-hmm. Um, and i never, I mean, like I said, maybe I've done this. I don't remember doing mm-hmm. this, but I, I definitely could see that it was a surprise to me mm-hmm. that this was one of the few times that he, he had done that. And I think, um, I think one of the things that we need to do better is mm-hmm. just listening to those experiences mm-hmm. and and taking them for what they are mm-hmm. um, and, and acknowledging them and mm-hmm. accepting them for what they are mm-hmm. uh, because there is value in our experiences. Whether yeah. positive or negative experiences, yeah. there's value in them because yeah. we grow from them. We are yeah. we are the sum of – I mean, I don't want to say the sum total. There's obviously yeah. more than just our experiences, but yeah. we are large in part who we are because of mm-hmm. those experiences. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing yeah. um, that. I want to ask you this. now this is a personal question. Mm-hmm. I know we've talked about regional conferences. we've kind of shifted into general mm-hmm. racism, but I was talking with a friend of mine last week, white, mm-hmm. um, and he's gonna know exactly <laughs> when i when I when I say what I'm about to say, he's gonna know exactly that I'm talking about him. yeah, uh, but he shared with me he was he was in a Facebook comment discussion about mm-hmm. and racism came up and he tried to make a point he either tried to make a point or ask a question, and a black person responded to him and said, No, you're white you don't understand uh, you don't know the black experience so you have no room to talk or Mm -hmm. you have no room to ask questions just don't even bother engaging in this and um, so and so he's like okay I get that right Mm -hmm. like I I don't know your experience so it's kind of hard for me to intelligently have this conversation Mm -hmm. but at the same time working towards a future where I don't want to say integrated with the conferences but working side by side well how do we have those conversations? How do white people engage in those conversations um, in a way that, that that shutdown doesn't always happen? Um, because we are coming from a place of ignorance, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I entered this conver- this conversation and you immediately had facts for me that, <laughs> that corrected me, right? And yeah. I'm learning, which yeah. is great for me. Yeah. Um, but I have a podcast that is, as an excuse to have the mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does it... How, I mean, what do we do? I Because that genuinely in a normal conversation... Uh, sometimes I'm bef- I feel like I'm walking on eggshells, which mm-hmm. I get. Um, that's part of what racism is, that there's minorities that walk on eggshells every day. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is figure out how none of us walk on eggshells mm-hmm. at some point. So, so is there any advice or any th- answer to that question that you might have?
1: Blacks don't like talking about our experiences with racism. Mm. So I think... You have to be at a certain extent comfortable in a relationship with that person before I even bring up that, that conversation because, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I'll never forget this. And this is really my first undeniable encounter with racism. And I was a grown man, you know. Huh. I have people I could finger and say, I'm pretty sure that was racist. The first undeniable racist experience I had. There was. I was pastoring in, in in Aiken and Johnson, South Carolina. And um I it, it's even hard for me to talk about it. I feel ashamed like I did something wrong. Wow. Um I was up the street from my townhouse that I was renting. Not even up the street. I was literally from this so let's say from this part of the room all the way to the end of the room. From my from my town, feet house. away, yeah, 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 From my from my townhouse, I was parked in someone's cul-de-sac, trying to get a dress to go visit a member sick in the hospital. A white man, who I've seen, I've spoken to, whose 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 grandsons play with my my child, walks up to my car. I'm suit tied, car seats in the back. Says he's just standing there looking at me. So Rodama went up thinking something's wrong, I say, Can I help you? He says, um Are you lost? I said, No. I'm just looking for an address. Well, maybe I can help you. No, it's in Colombia. You can't help me. We're, we're nowhere near Colombia. Well, what are you doing here? What? I live there. I've spoken to you. He says, okay. And I roll up my window. Says said, okay. And and he takes a picture of my license plate. Are you serious? What? And he took everything within me not to get out the car, take his phone, and launch it.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, for real.
1: But the reality is, that happened just to Trayvon Martin. So I know I'm not allowed to respond with such rage because I don't know if he has a gun. Huh. And I have kids I got to raise. I don't know what his response is going to be, but I do know whatever happens, the cops aren't going to believe me. Yeah. So, stuff like that, like, it's like, we don't like talking about that. We talk, and here's the thing. Blacks talk about it amongst ourselves. We don't talk about it outside of ourselves. And so, I think, one, it's, it's by becoming a friend. Um. And don't act like you belong, but don't act like you're a stranger either. Okay,
2: yeah, that's fair. Because if you act like
1: you belong, it's like, okay, chill. But if you act like you're a stranger, it's like, well, why are you asking so many questions? Yep. So it's kind of has to be more natural. You know? Um. And I think about my dad. You know, uh, my dad's a... Six four light skinned green eyed black man, um, and I—I I, I was four years old. He told me this story, and I'll never forget. It. This is when I kind of realized this is a different world. He um, Flint, Michigan has a history of racism. Yes, a history long before uh, you have the, the 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 water dumping. A history of racism. And racist cops, same as Detroit, Michigan.
2: I've heard people recently say that they'd prefer Detroit over Flip in yeah. any day of the week. Yeah.
1: He was there visiting my aunt's boyfriend for the Thanksgiving holidays. They were driving around. The cops stopped them, and they said they fit the description. That's that's cold work. Oh yeah, that's cold work. Took all of his took all. They said there was drugs in the car, weapons. There was nothing there. Then they drove off. Let them go. They come back, stop them again. Take everything out of the car. Take the seats, everything. Looking for it. Don't find anything. Hold them at gunpoint. Put a shotgun in my dad's back. Wow. And my dad, we're, we're big intimidating looking people, but we're very ticklish. And so I guess maybe when they were searching for tickle, and he was chuckling. And so he the the cop locked the gun, you know, loaded he he was a shotgun. He um I don't even know what to call that, I'm not a gunman, but he um oh, the yeah. clocked the gun, yeah. the gun and said, What you left that boy? So um yeah, I mean those things shape how we interact with with people um so i i think the best thing is become a friend become part of that family because we're all at the end of the day race is a social construct. we're all a part of the human family we all are yes and in time i don't want to say color becomes unimportant but in time as bonds are formed color doesn't become a barrier that it is naturally
2: yeah it doesn't come become a reason for division yeah. Like like it is, yeah.
1: With certain people, because structurally it's still, you know, still hard, but I mean I'm saying there's certain people, you know, I can talk to like a white man or a black man. And there are some people who think they're cool with white black people. Like, I mean we, we'll we hang out with them, we'll talk to them. We don't trust them though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, because fair. it's it's just like we pay attention to, to, to cold words. The guy we were friends in the seminary. he'd he say some things and our friends him down. He's racist. I'm telling you he don't like black people. And he he's still friendly with them. He's still nice with them, but he don't trust them. Huh?
2: Yeah, that's see. I again, thank you for sharing yeah. that story. I the reason I appreciate those stories, especially here, mm-hmm. um, is because there's a lot of my listeners that don't hear those stories. Yeah. Um, and I actually know that that to previous uh, to previous episodes, people I've I've heard some reactions mm-hmm. from friends or or through friends of mm-hmm. people they've showed episodes to and they're like they're pulling that way out of proportion or they're yeah. you know they're they're making that up or something yeah. but these are real. Yeah. You know, I I'm, I'm sitting across a table from you yeah. and I'm seeing your eyes, I'm seeing your body language yeah. like, this is real. There's yeah. no making that up. Yeah. Um and, and so I really appreciate this because yeah. it does help further the conversation for those yeah. who don't even realize racism is what it is. Yeah. Um I want to ask you this as as we kind of wind down. Too, okay. uh, a lot of white people, as as we realize, oh, racism is an issue, right? Yeah. The next step for us is to way overcompensate. Mm-hmm. You, I know you know exactly what I mean yeah. when I say that. Yeah. But we, we tiptoe around everything, and we're afraid to just yeah. uh uh just say things up front or, mm-hmm. or, or, or ask questions. So how do we uh, how how do how would you say um, white people can can. Avoid that that step of overcompensation, or do you think it's just a natural part of the process?
1: It's a natural, natural part of the process, but natural part of the process. Um, okay, but there is a thing called the white saver complex. Yes. Um. J K. J Carter. J Carter. I can't remember his last name. Theologian from Duke has a has a q you, you ever hear Q Ideas? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah I've heard of it. He has that. a Q Idea on the White Saver Complex. And he does it from a movie, the movie Avatar.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. And he talks about when white people try to intervene, they um they try to They try to do it from their perspective. When he talked, he says, Jesus, to save humanity, became like us. And so, we don't need a white savior. Because what we need are advocates. Like we don't need you to come in and fix our community. We don't need you to come and fix and reorient our church. We need you to advocate for <laughs> Say it again for, us. for the people
2: in the back. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's the natural response, and it's good, it's well-intended. It's wrong
2: Yeah,
1: because people in poverty have minds, black people. Have minds, and this is this is church. I mean, even black people, even even black Adventists, we do this. We say, well, let's go in and save the poor, the poor. Let's save the urban, and we got to realize we have to empower them yeah. in helping them. We're not just we're not going in to save them. We're empowering them and helping them, advocating for them, lifting our voices for them, with not for them, with them. Yes. Because we, they, 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 and that's something I'm learning as part of this PhD program I'm in. Uh, a big thing, and this is just, I'm not going to go deep into this, but the big thing in America going on right now is where rich people are trying to come into urban spaces and trying to fix poor people's problems. You have these, um banks and these other corporations who are trying to use their money to invest in schools, Bill Gates foundation, uh, Dale foundation, and they aren't having any success because they're doing it from the outside. Money's not the solution they're, these people have the solution. We need to work alongside them and not try to overpower them. Um, So what's the original question? I kind of got it.
2: Um, How can white people prevent uh, the overcompensation?
1: Advocate, you know, join us in the fight for equality. Call racism, racism. Don't make us the crazy one person crying racism. Um, And this boils down to, I think, what, what, I think I wrap. I'll wrap up with this. I wrap up. With okay, this. yeah. I wrote a term paper this past semester on education in South Africa, and I was confronted with things I just didn't realize that missionaries have been complicit in the conquest of Africa.
2: Huh?
1: It's not about. When, when, when black people say Christianity is the white man's religion, it's because Christianity has been whitewashed. Oh, merged yeah. with Western values. And they will say explicitly the goal of what we're doing is to help savages become human. To help black people become cultured. These Africans become cultured and learn our ways. But a part of the goal, uh, and this book um, I've read I try to give sources so people can. Yeah, no, 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 this is, this is great. Um, education in South Africa from 1652 to 1935. I think that was the name of the book. I can't remember. I'll come back. I'll send it to you so you can put it on afterwards.
2: Yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes.
1: Yeah. Um, one of the, the people in charge, um, of education in South Africa um said what w- would it argued for yes here it is here it is cuz it reference th- this book referenced another book talked about how europe um, defrauded africa or something like that uh, bankrupted africa or something like that um education um Stratifies. There's a, stratify, there's a social there's a hierarchy system in education that puts a B students to the front, DNF students to the back. but the goal is you you pick a few black people, make them feel special a few few Africans make them feel special, make them feel like they, they belong in Europe. Cause them to prefer Europe to Africa, and then use them to exploit Africa with cap for capitalist means. So make them the figureheads of these corporations or these companies. So that they can exploit, yeah, Africa, and they think they're helping Africa, thinking that Africa needs their help, and that's that's what happened. That's why I'll get upset if someone says, "Well, at least when we came to take out from slavery, that we took y'all and gave y'all in America." When in reality, you've bankrupted Africa. That's why Africa is the way it is, in yes. certain places. Um, and so, they use Christianity, they use education, in order to colonize and conquer Africans and they've conquered theology and we have to learn through the spirit of God the spirit of God has to help us in this process uh, how to decolonize the gospel because if my gospel only preaches about my personal purity, but doesn't preach about the social ills of society, if my gospel doesn't challenge and call racism by its right name, because you cannot you cannot talk about the end of of racism without merging that with the gospel attacking the system instead of the hearts of individuals, and so the Adventist message must begin to address. Social ills, not just personal piety. It can't just be about me stopping looking at porn. Can't just be about me stopping fornicating. Me stopping lying. Me stopping stealing. It has to be about me not exploiting the powerless. Me raising my voice for the orphan. That's what the Bible talks about. Absolutely, yeah. Book I recommend: Old Testament Ethics for the People of God.
2: Okay, awesome. Yeah, and I'll I'll uh, hopefully I can find a link to it and put it in the show notes as well. Uh, Thank you for that. I. And and that's, I I agree. It's like missionaries, and I, I've talked about mission trips in another episode as well, but but missionaries go to a place to make it more like where the missionaries come from mm-hmm. instead of going into those places and saying, how can we help you be the best that you are, mm-hmm. the best that you can be with mm-hmm. where you are and, mm-hmm. and embrace who you are mm-hmm. as a valued creation of God? Mm-hmm. And that is a completely different mindset. And let's be honest, it's a lot messier.
1: Yeah. It's
2: a lot, of, it's a longer process, which mm-hmm. means that you don't get to have the feel good mission trip. Yeah that you wanted to have in two weeks. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a much messier process. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, sin is messy, grab a mop, uh, (laughs) and you know, get into the thick of it and, and, and work on, on this. And, um, so I, you know, I, I myself want to be an advocate. Uh, part of, part of that is, is I try not to talk about racism on this show without having someone in the room who can speak on it with a different perspective and authority. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to figure out more ways in my life that I can do that. So these conversations are really yeah. just helpful for me to figure yeah. a lot of this out. Uh, regional conferences, you've taught me a lot today. Uh, you've taught me some of the, still some of the biases that were in my education regarding this. Because I really did. I thought they were temporary. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was their entire point. At, yeah. And I can I could give you a list of about 50 other people that yeah. I know personally that believe yeah. that same thing. Yeah. Uh, and I hope they listen to this and yeah. <laughs> their mind has changed. Yeah. But
1: um, and, and I thought I the plug in. I'm not really a part of the group, but um, I affirmed the group Advanced for Social Justice. Okay. You know, join that group. It's not just for black people because blacks alone, minorities alone, can't fight this fight. We need white advocates to join yes. a side with us, not to come and take over, <laughs> but to come to work with us in this fight for equality and yes. justice.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Evan, thank you so much for coming on. This has been... Awesome! Uh, I really loved this conversation. Uh, as we go, do you have any final thoughts for anyone? Uh, any final encouragements, or about anything we've talked about, or or separate, whatever you want to share. Uh, I, I want to affirm
1: topic. you and what you're doing. I think you're doing a great thing. I think the Lord's using you. Thank you. I appreciate uh, that. as a pastor and in the podcast. Um, I I will admit the Lord has a work on my heart and how I feel towards white people. He has to work on my heart, and and he has to reshape my thinking because I naturally don't trust white people naturally. And there's a growing process. So, you know, keep praying for me, you know, uh, in this whole process, I'm growing, I'm being challenged. The Lord's working on me and the same way I hope he's working on you. And if I can admit that I have issues, the Lord needs to work on with me. Surely you can admit, yeah, the Lord has to work on with you. And if we work on this thing together, pray, and uh, joining the fight for equality, I'm sure that the Lord will 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 make sure we all get into the kingdom.
2: Absolutely, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you, Evan, uh, again, and I look forward to hopefully one day having you back on the podcast, yeah, for sure, talking for sure, about for sure. uh, other things and working yeah. with you in, yeah. in Rock Hill. Yeah. Um, but I really appreciate you your journey uh, and your story. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So that was our conversation with Evan Willis. And at this point, it is now my turn to apologize to you. In previous episodes, my voice has probably sounded very silky smooth. But in this episode, because of my lovely allergies, whenever I'm in the state of Florida, you can hear a lot more, uh, what's the word, congestion in my voice. Sorry for that. Thanks for sticking through. I think it was valuable for the conversation, but I just want to let you know. That's why I sound sick. It's not because I'm actually sick. It's because my nose hates and my sinuses hate me. That's why. So with that said, thank you so much for listening to Absurdity. If you want, it helps me out big time. You can hit that subscribe button on iTunes or whatever podcatcher app you use. And if you wouldn't mind, please go on iTunes and leave us a review. Leave me a review so that I can uh, get your feedback. And also it helps with visibility of the podcast on iTunes. And lastly, we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash if you want to support this show financially in any way and help me keep the keep the lights on in here i will greatly appreciate it 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 is super helpful for me as i have monthly costs to keep this thing running um so please go head on over there consider giving me even just a dollar a month whatever you can afford um i think we are moving in the direction where uh content creators are are going to be um supported by their fans more directly uh, by these sorts of donations and gifts. I think we're seeing uh, content creators move in this direction right now. So I'm hopping on that bandwagon and that train uh, myself. So if you like, lo- if you love the show, hit subscribe. Uh, let me know how you feel in the reviews. And if you love the show enough to financially support it, then you're more than welcome to head on over to our Patreon and give there. And please know I appreciate it. And all of my patrons get either full episodes a week in advance if they're solo episodes or you get the raw interviews and conversations uh, up to a week in advance of the episode actually releasing. So thanks guys so much for listening to Absurdity, and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.